A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you okay? Well, I'm not. I have definitely reached that point in the school holidays where I I can't I can't boil another piece of broccoli. I can't mash another potato. I can't make something healthy when all they want to eat is stuff that isn't healthy. I can't force them to go on lovely walks outside for fresh air. I I just I've just reached the end. And what's occurred to me is that one child doesn't go back to school for another month. Another month. I love them dearly. I do. I love them dearly. But just when you're trying to... Oh, I don't know. You know what I mean. It's just school holidays. Just send help immediately. It's all fine. Everything's fine. And I don't think it was help. So, yes, picture the scene. Um, had just provided lunch uh, for the kids and had got to do an interview about this very podcast, which was lovely. So um, managed to do all of that, feed them, find great, go and do the interview. And the f- first, not the second or third, the first question they asked me was this. Are you ready for this? It wasn't, you know, how did you est- establish the podcast? Or what's your favourite books? It was, so what do you consider to be the difference between uh, utopian and dystopian fiction? Well, obviously, there is a difference and I do understand that. But I just think, hang on, if you're going to throw questions like that at me, I need to prepare. First of all, I need to prepare by eating a vast quantity of Cadbury's dairy milk whole nut and immersing myself in a vat of black coffee. Then you can ask me questions like that. Not not on the back of kids and holidays and work and everything. So yes, so that's where I'm at. I'm completely losing my mind. Hopefully I said something sensible, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, but anyway, I have got, I've got some great books to talk to you about. Well, one book was, yeah, but some other great books. We've got five books in total um, and a really wide range of them as well. We've got sort of crimes, uh, crime thrillers, uh, historical crime, a sort of horror, historical, joyful book, um, and then a strange one. <laughs> that's, the, that's my that's my brilliant summary of what of what's going on. So let let me tell you about the books we've got. So the first one is called the Murder Box, 
And that is written by Olivia Kiernan. And Olivia is coming on to talk to us, which is wonderful. Um, and then we've got Who Took Eden Mulligan? And that's written by Sharon Dempsey. Uh, then we've got Waking the Tiger. And that's written by Mark Whiteman. Um, we've got Miss Benson's Beetle by Rachel Joyce. I'm smiling even as I say the title. Really looking forward to telling you about that. Quite a different book. And then The Animals at Lockwood Manor by Jane Healy. So uh, we better get started. Um, first of all, thank you for your questions for the authors. I keep putting them on the Facebook group. So do join us there. Quick book reviews. Uh, if you'd like to pose any questions uh, for the authors that we've got coming up. Uh, there's usually an author every week. So there's always something to ask. Um, and what else should I say? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I do need to tell you. Um now, there is this facility on Audible. Now, I know Audible does cost money and, of course, look at uh, library apps as well. But the Audible app has released something for members called Audible Plus. Um, and you get it, it seems, as part of your normal membership. Um, but there are quite a few free books, audiobooks to listen to. And so when I can't find one on the library app, I can often find it on that Audible Plus. And it just it's an excuse for trying different authors um, and listening to different uh, books and, and styles of writing and all sorts. So, yeah, if if you are an Audible member, um, it'd be worth having a look at that because you might be able to find some more free books. Lots more books. That's that's what we want. So anyway, I think you know where my head's at. It's not a good place. So I'm just going to get on with these books because while my head might not be in a good place, these books are in a great place. And I would say that most of them, I've read Rachel Joyce's books before, um, but apart from that, these are new authors to me. Um, so again, that's really exciting. So let's get started. So Olivia Kernan has written the murder box. This was a great book. I just love this book. If you can say love about a crime book, but yes. OK, here, here's the blurb for you. At first, Detective Chief Superintendent Frankie Sheehan believes the murder mystery game sent to her office is a birthday gift. But when she studies the game's content, she notices a striking striking. Oh, fill up a deep breath. I do apologise. She notices a striking resemblance between the murder victim and missing 22-year-old Lydia Callan. Frankie's investigation uncovers a series of grisly crimes connected to the game and Lydia's involvement with a shadowy network of murder mystery players becomes clear. Every successful move brings Frankie closer to the killer. But the real question is not what happens should she lose, but what happens if she wins. I thought it was... I thought it was superb. This is the fourth in the series. I hadn't read the others in the series, but I just thought, well, let's just let's jump in and, and see. And I mean, I'm sure they're all brilliant if they're anything like this, but it didn't matter. I just enjoyed this book. And you'll have heard me talking about in the past how I love crime books that have a great plot, a great setup, a great sort of whodunit, but also where you have these characters that you care for. Um, and yeah, I, I really liked it. Let's read the first sentence. So let's see what we've got here. OK. Oh, well, first sentence is, is very short. So I'm going to risk it by giving you two sentences this time. I hope that's OK. This is chapter one. Are you sitting comfortably? Some murder cases come in quietly. They ease you in. 
allowing you to enter from the shallows, to take your time before wading in. Oh, you see, I want to keep reading it to you. Actually, I must stop because otherwise I would just sit here and read you the whole book. That probably wouldn't be a good idea for all sorts of copyright reasons, but you'd be very pleased to hear this book. Um, I, I thought it, I thought it was it was a good book. Um, it had, as I say, the characters that I cared about. I liked the whole this whole setup about this box being delivered. So fresh uh, and different. Um, yeah, bravo. So uh, enough about me. I think we should talk to Olivia now. So, Olivia Keenan, uh, author of The Murder Box, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks a million for having me on. Well, I had to talk to you about this book, this fantastic book. What, what gave you the idea for, the, for this particular story? Um, I think it's kind of, it kind of came from a couple of different places, but initially it was it was as far back as writing my debut. Um, I'd kind of gotten more into say the true crime element and um, documentaries mm. on that and I, I just noticed back then um, the kind of growing interest in in becoming armchair detectives you know the amateur sleuths at home um, yes. so I kind of come kind of come up with an idea about a group of or a network of murder mysteries so who are more into the traditional murder mystery um, shape murder mystery fans who um, kind of begin to taunt my detective, Frankie Sheehan. Um, mm. And I hadn't fully kind of brought the premise to kind of fruition, if you like, until I got to Harrogate Crime Writing Festival, actually, and I attended the author murder mystery dinner. I think it was Lee Child who scripted um, that year. And I was at a table, I was hosting a table as an author with a group of, of murder mystery fans, obviously crime fiction fans. Um, and it was just more their passion and their, their kind of um, absolute enthusiasm for the traditional murder mystery that kind of made me put those two elements together, of bringing that shape of a game, a murder mystery game, back into um, crime fiction, kind of superimposing it along my plot. So that that's kind of where it came from. Generally, most of my ideas, they, they kind of, it's a few areas you kind of put together. Yes, I love that. What a what a brilliant way to, to get the idea. And then, as you say, just to sit in Harrogate and all the pieces that have come together for you. And you think, oh, yes, actually, this is this is how we could do it. That, that's great. I mean, I, I admit I haven't read the previous books in the series and I, I will now. But is there anything if if any listeners are just starting off with the murder box, is there anything they need to know before they start reading this book? Um, I, I really try to try to keep each of my books um, readable as a standalone that people could easily access yeah. the series. Um, but there are um, obviously character progression. There is ca character progression with each of the books that if you were reading or following along in the series, you'd see maybe a slightly longer arc and, and have some satisfaction. But I do think and I do try to write like that. Most people could pick up any one of my books and be able to access the characters just as well as someone with the series so um so I don't think there is with the murder bo box and certainly because it's so um premise led if you like it's yeah it does make it much more accessible and has much more standalone feel than say the, the previous three 
yeah, I didn't feel as if I was missing out at all. It just, it stood completely on its own. I thought it was just excellent. And it's very hard to find that in a, in a series, actually, even though it still made me want to go back <laughs> and find out more about these, these great characters. Um, the, the pace as well is something that I thought you managed really well. Uh, it's a, a, a an overplayed term. It was a page turner, but it it really was for me. How how do you sort of manage that pace to keep us interested but not exhausted? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I, I, one of the reasons I write crime thrillers is I do appreciate structure and um, I do kind of, once I've finished a draft, I do like to stand back and see where I can kind of even remove whole chapters or threads that aren't um, helping the story along. And um, so yeah I'm probably quite fascinated with that but I, I do think a lot of it as well is I'm not I'm not a huge huge planner um so a lot of it is in kind of instinct instinctive writing for me and and I think maybe that brings a certain energy to the page in in some ways mm. um but yeah I'm very pleased that it's kind of come out like that that it's <laughs> that it's yeah. to be something that keeps people turning the pages but um yeah, it's, it's probably just more standing back and looking at the story overall and trying to just remove as many um, hiccups. You can you can sometimes get um, a little attached to certain pieces of your own writing where yeah. where you go where you think, oh, I just really want to keep that in there because it's nice. But actually, you you do need to just rip those pieces out. Usually, they get in the way. They're more for you rather than the reader um yes yeah I think you have to be kill your darlings as they say and and be (laughs) and I'm always quite happy to do that I love the editing process I have a brilliant editor so I really trust her and and um whatever whatever they recommend as much as you might go oh god I don't want to attack I don't want to attack that right now I do eventually usually take on almost everything they suggest they're usually right so um yeah thankfully she she's very good at pace so I think that helps a lot well it it just works I'm interested though in your comment about how you you don't sort of over plan um the story when you're coming to it because I often find that might happen with the first book for an author but once they're sort of contractually obliged that the the planning tends to happen more and more but you're you're more of a free spirit with with the planning yeah I I mean I will definitely when I say that I will definitely have key scenes in my head so Mm. I will definitely when I get an idea and I guess most authors regardless of your approach that's it's it's those scenes that kind of drive you so the minute you kind of start thinking about characters you kind of start thinking what if questions and off the back of that you begin to imagine interchanges and and scenes so there will always be some scenes that I can see very clearly um that have a very visual um almost cinematic kind of um, play out mm. in my head um so yes it may not be a spreadsheet or excel sheet but there will to some extent ha- be jump off points that I'm writing towards before I even start um but I don't like to plan too much because I think you can sometimes get and this is just me I think you can sometimes get a bit too wed to an idea mm. that might not be working and I think if you mm. are freestyling it a little more you're you're more inclined to 
just say, no, that's not working and kind of just head off in another direction. Um, so for me, that is, I know that's not, not the same for every author and um, a lot of authors do plan in detail and I'm very jealous of them because I think... <laughs> I think it would be less nerve wracking that way. Definitely. You'd be <laughs> sure that your plot would work out before you start. So, um, but yeah, I think I don't, I kind of get a bit bored if I've planned it out too much. Yes. I've, it's almost like watching, knowing the answer of a box set on, on Netflix or whatever, before you've watched it, you know, you kind of want to, yes. I, I want to go along with the reader and discover at their pace. Um, so that's why I kind of am resistant a little bit to planning too much. Well, and that that clearly works because, uh, as I say, the the pace was there. It's it felt fresh and really vibrant as well. And the, this main character, Frankie, we've, we've got to talk about it. I love a female lead. Uh, how how similar is she t- to you? Oh gosh, not I'm not similar at all. <laughs> I think Frankie is definitely. Um, I've given her characteristics that maybe not not to the extent I don't want them all, but there I wish in some ways I was a little bit more like her. She's very, um, I don't know, she's very courageous. I think in some ways, mm. and she doesn't give up no matter how many knockbacks she gets. Um, well, I think I'm much more. I'm definitely an overthinker and a worrier in most respects, and I, I would talk <laughs> myself out of something quickly in my head. Where Frankie would just just seems to know what's right and what needs to be done and kind of goes ahead regardless the hurdles in her way um I'm definitely not like that (laughs) and this year has this the pandemic has taught me that very much so I was like I'm happy to stay in my house forever now I won't be leaving but um Frankie is definitely someone who will do what needs to be done um kind of regardless of personal cost you know maybe that's not always a good thing but um she she knows who she is to the core, but then she doesn't. You know, it's kind of this strange yeah. conflict in herself. Um, so, and I, I think that's in some ways admirable. So if you've got, say, a difficult phone call to make, do you sometimes have to think to yourself, right, what would Frankie do? You know, let's... let's... <laughs> channel some Frankie to, to, to I do, do I, yeah I perhaps wouldn't advise that too much because she she will burn it all in her wake to get what she needs to. <laughs> but I think you know you have to strike a balance in some in some ways the cost to her personal life is always always seems a little over the top you know so yeah I think in reality if you if you were to live with that you would unless you're a certain individual like I, I always say if you, if you were to kind of slice into Frankie in a way she'd just be work her, her the victims of the case the investigations right through to her core um and I personally I'm not sure that's the best way to, yeah. to live your life you know yes that that's fair enough Do, does she talk to you though when you're not writing does she sort of bother you or not yeah so I mean maybe not directly to me I'd kind of might hear um conversations or or maybe even you know because it is first person present you know I'll hear her voice telling the story so Mm. it's not necessarily it's to me it's just her voice kind of narrating the story so um and that's generally what I follow when I'm writing um when I'm beginning to draft or I may hear um imagine kind of conversations between her and Baz or her and Clancy um, and various different characters in the book so 
Um, and, and those are always a desperate scrabble to get the notebook to try and get the feel and the rhythm of those conversations down quickly. So, um, yeah, so it's definitely, I'd say my writing is very voice led in that way, mm. in that I am always, it kind of feels like I'm transcribing sometimes, you know. that. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I can, I can understand that. So this sort of, the, the tie-in that you have, the connection with the characters, um, uh, in a way, having such a brilliant series, I just wonder, is it is it a blessing or a curse? Because it's a blessing because um, it, it's lovely and you've got this series and clearly you can write so well, but in a way, is it a curse because it's harder to then do a standalone book? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I'm kind of, I am working on another book at the moment which is outside of the series so ah yeah so that's my current work in progress and then hopefully we'll get back to Frankie directly afterwards just because it has been quite intensive so it's four books year on year that I've written mm. um and I just think sometimes that's good to um take it take a little step back for a little while so you can keep the series fresh um, and it doesn't and I think that's the one thing with the series that I have enjoyed with each of the books to me as a writer anyway have felt quite fresh that I've when I've approached them and I'd really like to be able to maintain that to some degree um so but yeah with getting back to your questions about writing the same characters it's it's definitely very um you you get to internally know your character and know your character's responses so in that way it's quite fun because I can, if I want to up the drama, I just, because I know Frankie and I kind of know how she react to certain things, that allows you to kind of dream up, gosh, what would really put her world on edge, you know, which sounds very cruel, but you can. Yeah, poor Frankie. Yeah, you just go, right, what, what's going to really challenge her as a character? So in that way, it's quite nice because I don't have to sit down and kind of work out psychological motivations in that way because I kind of know her. Um, so it, it's that's kind of reassuring it's like a safety net but then in other ways for each of the novels you have to really then almost you're getting to know the main character all over again because you are putting them in a separate um it kind of in a new situation and each novel needs its own emotional arc and um, mm. so you can't have it's not like a game of chess where the pieces are coming back to the the square one again you need to give your character an emotional a challenge emotionally for that novel and that's the mm. same with every novel you you read that's what that's what engages a reader is emotion and conflict because you're dealing with the same characters you wrote in the last book so um so that can be quite challenging but also very very rewarding once you land it once you get that new kind of emotional arc for your character it's really satisfying and a lot of fun because you do know that character quite well um, and obviously with Frankie in this book, there are themes of time kind of sifting away, things sifting away that's out of her control mm. and loss. Um, and obviously Frankie is very much a kind of not control freak, I would say, but she likes to she likes to control things. <laughs> she likes to control and nothing's in control here. Everything's slipping out of her grasp. And um, so in that way, once I kind of got that, I was like, right, that's where she's at emotionally, which is as you can see, it's different to thinking about the premise of the book. Mm, so yeah. it's 
it's a, it's a whole new aspect to the novel you have to decide upon when you start your novel and in a series that that's because it's the same characters that's a little bit challenging but mm. as I said very rewarding once you get there uh, and I think that's the challenge with good crime books it's a combination as you say of the the, the crime the who done it what done it and the characters um, and it must be hard sometimes to get that balance right. Sometimes you want to do more on the characters or, or more on the crime, but you manage that balance well. Is that something that you have to refine while editing or is that just naturally your approach? Um, I think it's probably just my approach, but as a reader, you know, mm. I... Like I absolutely love um, crime fiction that really delves into the kind of minutiae of the domestic life of the of the detective, etc. But to me, that the, the I, I want I want the, to know more about the crime and the kind of challenge and the puzzle. That's what attracts me mm. to it. So it's important that either the the mystery that we're investigating carries the emotional um, story forward. Um, and is not the emotional story doesn't overshadow the mystery. So I, I like to do like to keep both of those elements in check if I can, because just as the reader, what captivates me is the mystery that we're reading about. Um, so I'm it is a battle always to try and make sure that neither side gets too top heavy mm. in the plot. And and some some readers absolutely love that they much prefer us sticking with the the detective's personal life, um, wholly throughout the novel. That's the thing that attracts them to the read. But for me, it has to be a fifty fifty. Yeah. Um, the two elements have to interact. Um, you know, so the decisions of the detective, you have that emotional arc influencing those decisions to some degree. But we do also get a fair picture of what the mystery is in the novel, because really that's what I feel when people look at the cover and they look at the blurb. That's what's made them pick the book mm. off the shelf. Um, so, yeah, you, you want to for me as a reader anyway, I like books that keep both of those elements quite balanced. So they're the, that's the type of book that I like to write, you know? Yeah. Well, it's lovely to read. And and do you have a list of ideas, a bag of ideas that, that you pull something out of when you're coming to write the next story? Or are you very clear that, that this is what you are going to be dealing with when you're writing the next book? I'll have, um, like with when I first started thinking about the murder box, you know, the, the premise wasn't fully um, set in stone. You know, the, the mm. first thing that came to the network of murder mystery kind of fans. So the actual box itself came a little bit after that. Um, so usually that's where I'll just start with something that I feel like is almost calling me to the page and going, mm. there's something here. And, and in the process of writing is a process of discovery so um and I may overwrite sometimes in the first draft and what I mean by that is is that there there might be entire chapters before I'm fully aware of okay that's what I'm doing and then I'll have to make a note to, to kind of pair all those um elements out of the book or kind of pair them back um or make them work for the plot that I'm that I mm. realize now that I'm working on so um yeah I think it's 
it's more a discovery for me as I'm kind of approaching a draft rather than me thinking, right, here's a solid idea and I know exactly and it's going to remain unchanged. So instead, I will have an idea and it'll be a little kernel and it might alter Mm. a little as I start getting it down on the page and become perhaps a little bit more concentrated and more clear about what the story is. Um, Yeah, I think that's it's hard to say exactly how you work because each book yeah oh, no I don't work like that anymore <laughs> it's it's kind of strange each book brings a different um element to kind of craft out in yourself or creativity and you're always on the always on a journey of discovery I know that's a cliche but it with process that is definitely the truth I think for most authors yeah. no that 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 makes sense and I, I just wonder with the series does it get easier the further you write into a series or harder? Because in some ways you'd think, well, it must be easier because the characters are, are already on their way to being developed and known and, and made. And yet you're having to remember each with each book so many more facts and, and different things that have happened in those previous books. Is it easier? Or harder? Yeah, I mean, that's- that is challenging, particularly as you get to know the characters. Not that I've done this, I don't think. But, you know, if you mention in a book, um, in the first book, that a, a kind of member of the team, maybe that's not a primary character in the book, has gone to school in a certain area. And then yes. that kind of comes up. <laughs> it's a small detail. It might be a small detail you've given that character earlier. But actually, it's something you need to remember for later on. So um, I do try to keep a um, a character Bible, a notebook with each uh, of the characters introduced. And so if there's anything kind of that's particularly distinctive about that character or that I've said about that character's past, then I try to remember to make a note. <laughs> and if it's not always possible. Yeah. Sometimes you're writing at speed, then you just forget. Um <laughs> But it, it helps, I guess, if you have it, the last couple of books, I've had the same copy editor. So she has a little kind of yes. treatment of her own yeah. that she needs certain notes of the descriptions, the char- any descriptions. I don't over describe a lot of my characters anyway, um, not the main detective. So they're, they're lightly described. I think I do prefer their actions and their movements to be and their dialogue to be the thing that fills in the reader's image, if you like. Um, so, but there's certain things that, that say, for example, Helen, who's one of the team, the type of clothing she prefers to wear and things like that. So my copy editor, I know has notes on that, that she will then use for each, each time I sent her the manuscript lesser, she, she'll have those things ready. So if I've gone completely off piece, she's, <laughs> she's there to go hang on a minute. <laughs> the last book is, or just even she's written down, um, like you know, little verbal ticks and stuff that some of the characters might have, and yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it does get difficult, but you know, if you've got a strong team around you, it, it it's helpful. And and you know, authors do make mistakes, and it's fine. It's, I think as long as the the story and everything is is um, solid, I don't think most readers are just wrapped up in that. So I must now ask you some questions from the QuickBook Reviews Facebook group because. Okay. Uh, it, Every week, they uh, I tell them who I'm interviewing, and and they ask um, various questions. We've got three, if that's okay. Um, so Sarah's question is: How many words a day do you write? Oh, um, 
I try not to be kind of prescriptive in that. So it might only be mm. 500. I think if I get 500 good day, good words, you know, I might be quite happy. But generally, if I'm sitting down to write, I would love to be, it's a thousand. That's what I'd probably, if there was a mm. number in my head that I was aiming for. But I probably tend to think more in scenes. So again, as I said to you, when I'm kind of writing, the scene will begin to grow in my head. And I've very strong vision of that so it'll be more that I might sit down I'll be like right okay she's about to go into this interview with such and such character and a suspect this is the I'll have an idea of the end result of this and I'll just sit down and kind of let the dialogue begin to unfold on the page mm. and I'm I might be satisfied then that might that could go on for many pages um and so I'll be satisfied once I get that scene done. And then if I feel like if there's still kind of stuff left in the tank, then I'll go on for the next scene. So I'm probably more about that, about getting to those kind of, mm. as I said, those jumping off points that I might have in my head, those kind of um, images or key scenes that I know are going to play out that are going to be, um, that are hopefully going to be the scenes that, that the reader is going to remember when they close the book um, that I'll be writing towards. So that would probably be more how I'd work rather than word count. Um, but I, I would say that for the most part, I would never go over, I think, about 2000 in a day. I think something happens in my brain after that. It all, <laughs> all trickles to stop. And um, so, yeah, but it, even if it was 500, if it was a really tricky scene and I felt like I'd written mm. it well, that would be enough for me. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of save the rest for the next day. A question from uh, Linda. How did you get your agent? My debut crime, that was my fourth novel. So the three previous that I'd done, what every oh. other writer had done and submitted out and gotten rejection and then get back on the horse and write the next book and then send that out and you're all the time kind of honing your submission packages you know and so I totally get that feeling I've been there <laughs> and um yeah. and it's strange even after all the kind of um you know I used to go to those agent one-on-one -on -one meetings as well you know yes. all those I'm sure all your listeners or anyone else who's trying to get to get yes it helps it definitely helps you hone your submission package because often it's not even about the, the book. It's just how you're talking about the book. And it's a different part of your brain you have to learn to to um, use. So um, and that so all those years doing that did help me because by the time I got to something kind of, I guess, worthy of being published, it, I, I was able to kind of talk about it in a way in that cover letter and um and that's eventually what kind of made, kind of got me off the slush pile, if you liked. So, um, wow. but yeah, so I hope that's hopeful for some people. I've, I've done everything. Yeah. I've done everything that every other writer <laughs> tried. And the one-to-ones, done all the online kind of conferences and all the, you know, pit mad and all that kind of thing many times. So. But what you show is persistency and and you know a dedication to writing. Whereas, you know, I did one pitch to an agent, I still bear the scars from that, and have sworn I'm never putting pen to paper again. So oh, no. I think that's amazing that you 
that you just kept writing yeah you have to I think one thing and probably one tip if anyone's in that kind of um circle and one agent said this to me and it just really helped because back at this was not the agent I signed with but an agent over the years of doing kind of one-to-ones and various kind of that kind of speed dating with agent kind of thing mm. but she said um I remember when I booked she said this this mightn't be your debut just because it gets rejected it doesn't mean that it won't eventually get published and and that helped me with each of my projects because some people get very stuck on the one manuscript and then are submitting and polishing the first three chapters and they don't move on to the next project and I think sometimes it's important to remember that that even if you love that manuscript and you have faith that it should get published it might not be the one that gets you published. It just mm. it will in the future, but you need to learn to put that aside and move on to the next thing. Um, and I think that's probably the most helpful bit of advice I can give to anyone who's in that kind of whirlpool of submission. Don't get stuck on going back over the same chapters for years, attempting to get an agent just put it to the side mm. and get going with the next project that's what that's what I would say anyway but. oh my goodness there we go you're very uh yes you're very <laughs> inspirational <laughs> yes well that's what people need here and uh the, the last question from the listeners is from Chloe I think I know what you're going to say to this but she she asked is it important to choose the right publisher um, yeah, I mean, really, the right publisher is whoever comes along and says they love your book. Yes. Um, so I think that you don't always have a have a choice, sometimes, yeah. you know, but it only takes one. That's all you have to remember. And you, know, you need one person to uh, fall in love with your work and be passionate about it. Um, and that's that's really whoever um, kind of talks like they get your work it's a strange mm. it's strange but you you do kind of know that once you start even with agents and and you you get an instinct yourself of what you can work with and um how passionate they are that they believe in your writing um that's really important because it has to translate across the wider publishing team so it has mm. to that that passion for the editor has for your work has to translate to people within the team who who may not necessarily immediately be familiar with your work but they need to feel that energy from the editor who who takes you on so um so yeah I think which whichever one loves your work really go with them you don't have a choice sometimes (laughs) which is good because you know to me I'm always like I don't want too much choice it's too hard you can stop but if a publisher loves your work, then yeah, that's all you need, really. Well, that's fantastic. And we're glad that the publisher did love your work because uh, we love it too. And can't, uh, well, personally, I can't wait to read more of your book. So, uh, Olivia Kernan, author of The Murder Box, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolute pleasure, Philippa. Thank you so much. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, that was really good, wasn't it? Thanks so much, Olivia, for, for coming on. Now, I do hope the quality of that was was bearable. We had a few Wi-Fi gremlins somewhere in the world. And I just hope it's OK. I'm going to clean that up as, mu- as much as I can. So just bear with us uh, with that because it's a great book. Murderbox, great book. Uh, and now from one good book to another one, we go to Who Took Eden Mulligan by Sharon Dempsey. OK, let's read you the the blurb for this. They're dead. They're all dead. It's my fault. I killed them. Yona Gardner stands blooded and staring as she confesses to the murder of four people in a rundown cottage outside of Belfast. Inside the cottage, the words, who took Eden Mulligan, are graffitied on the wall, connecting the murder scene with the famous cold case of a mother of five who went missing during the Troubles. But this case is different right from the start because no one in the community is willing to tell the truth. And the only thing D.I. Danny Stowe and forensic psychologist Rose Laney can be certain of is that Yona's confession is false. Uh, Right, let's do first sentence. Oh, yes, OK, this is the prologue should I do oh, I don't know which to do do I do the first sentence from the prologue or from chapter one no oh, let's do prologue in fact I'm doing two sentences oh, no I'm doing three sentences because the first two sentences each have two words in so here we go keep going don't stop run walk if you must but whatever you do don't look back I thought this was really well written. Um, I liked it. I found it quite um, quite complex in that you have these uh, two investigators, D.I. Danny Stowe and I would say psychologist Rose Laney. And it, it's there's a lot about them and their background and then this case as well. So it's a very well written book about, wow, it's about 
what happens in your childhood. It's about community, as as the blurb says. Um, and it's just it's a it's a really good one. I uh, I will be looking for more by Sharon Dempsey. I thought it was um, it had the pace that you want. I could visualise everything from the writing. Um, I wanted to keep finding out what happened. I like the setup of it. I like these two characters coming together um, with the aim of, you know, really uh, working out what happened um, and the issues that they personally have. Just, yeah, very good. Um, I'm trying to think if you like, well, I think the murder box actually and who took Eden Mulligan go well together. If you're a crime fan, they're both... They're both good in different ways. Um, so, yeah, excellent. Really enjoyed that one as well. I don't think I'm sounding positive enough. I need to, I do need to have that chocolate, I think. But yes, it's a great book. I am throwing my hands in the air. As I'm saying, it's probably here my watch banging away as I'm doing it. But yeah, great book. Really, really good. And another great, great crime book. But this one is different. So, um, this is Waking the Tiger by Mark Whiteman. I had heard really good things about this. It's being selected for um, a sort of short and long list for different crime awards. And uh, it's published by our friends at uh, Hobet Books as well. So it's like, mm, I, I, I need to find out more about this. Uh, let's read the blurb and then I'll tell you what I think think because okay it's based in Singapore in the late 1930s 1939 and often books like that I think are going to be uh, not technical not traditional stodgy is that the right way of describing it but what this book did is take the modern way of writing crime and apply it to uh, a historical time. So I really enjoyed it. Anyway, OK, here's the blurb. Singapore, 1939. A young Japanese woman is found dead on the dockside, her throat slashed. Inspector Maximo Betancourt is working a new beat, one he didn't ask for. Following the disappearance of his wife, his life and career have fallen apart. A distinctive tiger tattoo is the only clue to her identity. Once a rising star of Singapore CID, Betancourt has been relegated to the Marine Division with tedious dockyard disputes and goods inspections among his new duties. But who is she and why are the authorities turning a blind eye? When a beautiful, unidentified Japanese woman is found murdered in the shadow of a warehouse owned by one of Singapore's most powerful families, Betancourt defies orders and pursues those responsible. What he discovers will bring him into conflict with powerful enemies and force him to face his personal demons. N listen, if anything that I've said from that makes you think, oh, that could be... That could be right up my street. It's really well worth a read. I thought it was great. I thought it was well written. I thought it gave me the pictures of the time and the location so well. Uh, it made me care about what was happening. Um, it just drew me in straight away. OK, let's let's get to the first sentence. Mm, does that really tell you very much about it? OK, here's, here we go. Whenever Inspector Maximo Betancourt, late of the Singapore CID and now the lone member of the recently formed Special Investigations Unit of the Marine Branch, had reason to commandeer a pool car, he travelled in the front with the driver. This oh, I've got to carry on. Let me just do one more sentence. This was no grand gesture of solidarity. 
It was simply that sitting in the back made him car sick. And the reason why I have included, sorry, that's the end of that. that this is now my waffle. But the reason why I've included that and, and, and done quite a bit is that for me, it just, it humanises it all. It just adds a, a little bit of humour, just personalising it. It's it's written from some, it feels like it's written by somebody who cares and just sees um, yes, you see the awful things in life, but the humour as well and the personalities behind certain actions. So, yeah, really, really good. And if Mark Whiteman doesn't win at least one of these prizes that he's up for, then I think that's a, that's a considerable shame. I didn't know when I woke up this morning I was going to use the word considerable, but there we go. I have. And that's very good. Um, so from that to something completely different, but by Jove, again, I didn't know I was going to say that this morning, but by Jove, I loved this book so much. Miss Benson's Beetle by Rachel Joyce. This is a very different sort of a book. Let, let me read you the blurb. It is 1950. In a devastating moment of clarity, Marjorie Benson abandons her dead-end job and advertises for an assistant to accompany her on an expedition. She's going to travel to the other side of the world to search for a beetle that may or may not exist. Enid Pretty, in her unlikely pink travel suit, is not the companion Marjorie had in mind, and yet together they will be drawn into an adventure that will exceed every expectation. They will risk everything, break all the rules, and at the top of a red mountain, discover their best selves. Oh, I just love this book. Oh, and I did listen to some of it on audiobook as well. I had quite a long journey and it was available. I've got the book, but it was available on the library app as an audiobook. So I uh, was able to listen to that as well. Uh, I'm just going to, it's a short first sentence, okay? But I'm going to read it because it's all you need. When Marjorie was 10, she fell in love with a beetle. Lovely. Uh, this book for me is joyful. It's an adventure. It reminds me, um, I think, well, Marjorie reminds me of a particular teacher I had when I was, when I was young. Um, and she's just, I don't know, she's someone that you could imagine to be a headmistress of a school or I mean, she's actually a teacher. But just, it's about, oh, what is it about? It's about independence. It's about... Um, pursuing your your longing it's about owning your individuality and it's about a clash of personalities the characters are wonderful um I just I it just makes me think I've got to read every single book that Rachel Joyce has ever written obviously I've read some of hers and reviewed some but this this is a great book and somebody I know recently said I just want something that's going to make me smile. And this book, I would say, absolutely. It might make you cry. It might make you shout. It might make you worry in places, but it delivers. It's just, it's got everything. Yeah, okay. If you want something serious, if you want Stephen King, yes, clearly, if you want Stephen King, Miss Benson's Beetle is not the right place for you to go. But if you just want a break from everything you're reading or what you normally read, um, I think it could be quite good for book clubs as well because it's got different 
um, parts to it that I think would be quite useful to talk to. I just thought it was great. It's one I'm going to be recommending, certainly, as with a lot of these books. Um, oh, so lovely. If there was a T-shirt with Miss Benson's Beetle on it, I would get it. It's it's that good. Um, and so from one good book to one that didn't quite do it for me. And there are lots of people loving this book, so it shows it's me. Again, I'm not going to tag the author in this because it is just my view. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure I must have read it on the wrong sort of day or whatever. L let's read the blurb and then you can see what you think. So this is called The Animals at Lockwood Manor by Jane Healy. It's got the most beautiful ornate cover, this lovely gold lettering, these birds exquisite. Um, and it says, uh, some secrets are unspoken, others are unspeakable. So that sounds very good. Here's the blurb. Oh, gosh, we're, we're back in 1939. Oh, who knew? This isn't a theme. I didn't plan this. But anyway, August 1939. When the contents of London's museums and galleries are evacuated for safekeeping during the war, 30-year-old Hetty Cartwright is put in charge of the Natural History Museum's mammal collection. Once she and her exhibits arrive at Lockwood Manor, however, where they will stay for the duration of the war, Hetty soon realises that perhaps London would have been safer. Let's do the first sentence. Let's see what we've got. Oh, I see we've got a prologue and we've got a chapter one. I feel to be fair because I'm saying it's not my most favourite book. I'm, I'm going to read a sentence from each, I think. Let's see. OK, prologue. Large houses are difficult to keep an eye on, to control, my mother used to tell me, looking fraught and harried before bustling out of the room to find the housekeeper or the butler or the tweeny maid to demand a full reckoning of what was happening in the far corners of the house. Oh, gosh, that's... Quite a long sentence. I wasn't expecting that. Um, uh, well, I'll read you the first sentence of chapter one. So I have been have been true. Uh, so chapter one, the mammals were being evacuated. Um, so as you'll have, as you can tell, it's a historical book. Well, obviously that's yes. Um, but you've got this uh, this main character involved, this Hetty Cartwright, who is in charge of the museum, and she's just in a difficult position because. She's not ruling the world and there's so much uh, sort of towing the line that she has to do. And yet she's given this this job, this responsibility. Um, and there was a lot to commend it. But it was it just was a book where I wasn't thinking, oh, I want to finish this to find out what happens. I was just thinking, oh, I want to finish it because I want to get on to something else. So I would like if you have read this book. Because it has won an award, let's see, it's a winner of the HWA debut crown. So, yes, she she's pleasing a lot of people. But if you've read this book and enjoyed it, please let me know. Because I do think so often uh, it's on the day that you read it, what you've got on, if you've got time to get fully into it. Um, yeah, I do find if I can sort of immerse myself in the story quite a bit on that first read, then I can... Uh, go through it much more easily and enjoy it more. I think for me, if I can, if I, well, if I can't read a book in uh, two, three days, then, uh, then I'm not, I'm probably not going to enjoy it. 
I think that's that's how things are shaping up at the moment. Um, but that's also probably because I need to review, read quite a few to be able to review them for the podcast. So time is of the essence. Um, and it, it for me, the book didn't have a time of the time is of the essence air about it. And as I say, so for that reason, lots of people will love it. So don't listen to me. Judge for yourself. Let me know. Um, but at least you've got a wide selection of books. We've got, yes, current times, past times, feel good, crime, thrill, all sorts of things. So let's just go through the book names again and then I will send you on your way for today. Um, so we've got Olivia Kernan. Um, who's written The Murder Box. Great book. Who Took Eden Mulligan by Sharon Dempsey. Good book. Uh, Mark Whiteman had written, uh, has written Waking the Tiger. Great book. And Miss Benson's Beetle by Rachel Joyce. <laughs> That's such fun. Uh, and The Animals at Lockwood Manor by Jane Healy. So there we go. My thanks to Olivia uh, Kiernan for coming on the podcast. And oh my goodness, next week I've got... Some, and I always say this, but I just love books. I've got some great books to talk to you about, a great author interview. So have a good week. Look after yourselves. I hope you don't get any tricky questions thrown at you like I have today. Um, if you're in the middle of a summer holiday with little people, I hope your summer holidays are going well and that you're clinging on to sanity and I'm off to do a bulk order of chocolate. So look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.